0: Welcome to Change Nation, a program brought to you by First30Days.com. On this episode of Change Nation, Ariane talks with Theo, a marathon runner who overcame numerous challenges on his way to a fulfilling life. Here's Ariane Welcome to the First 30 Days. I'm Ariane, and I'm speaking today with Theo, who is a marathon runner and participates in physically demanding Ironman events. In the past, though, Theo has faced a number of physical setbacks, which threaten not only his ability to be an athlete, but also life itself. He's an example of how to navigate change with true optimism and hope. So, Theo, you have an amazing story. Um, I know a few details about it, but I I certainly would like to hear it from you as to what happened and and what it is that you have most learned through this life experience that was given to you
1: all right so very briefly just to recap co-ed recreational soccer team i was it was april of 1999 it was a wednesday night under the lights it was a night game it was a few minutes before the half the game was all tied up and we're running down the field trying to score and i don't remember exactly how it happened but the ball came to me i kicked it in the net scored the game winning goal yep Yay. The exact same moment the goalie who was six three two forty, which is considerably bigger than, than I <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: um came running at me at a full sprint and I just never saw him coming and oh. he slid into my legs like he might slide into third base and the force of impact was so great that it shattered the two bones beneath my knee into six individual pieces. Oh. And um you know, looking back on that experience like I, I've 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 learned that change can happen in an instant, yep. and certainly in that instant my, my life um, changed dramatically. Yeah. What I didn't know at the time, but I've since learned, is that these events are meaningless,
2: mm-hmm.
1: except for the meaning that we bring to them.
2: Yep.
1: And many people, when they hear this story, they hear, you know, they, they hear it as a tragedy, but in my case, it turned out to be a blessing.
2: Mm.
1: Because this event didn't mark the end for me. It really marked the beginning of a new journey. Mm.
0: So, when it happened, do you remember what the first 30 days were like? Do you remember how you felt? What was going through your head? Did you think it was the end? Did you think it was.
1: I remember vividly what I, I remember all those things. I remember there was a lot of fear. A lot of pain. There's pain physically, enormous pain, like I'd never known before. But there's also emotional pain, and there's dis- you know, disbelief. Um, it was, it was there, one part of, to kind of put it in context, a decade prior to this event, I had had a near fatal car accident,
2: mm.
1: where I hit a van head on, 60 miles an hour in a sports car. I had passed out from heat exhaustion. I crossed the yellow line and was um, in this horrific accident where I was code blue, which meant I had no vitals, no heartbeat, no pulse. They used the jaws of life to cut the top off my car. They took me by helicopter to the shock and trauma unit where I was miraculously brought back to life. There's a reason
0: reason why you need to be around, (laughs) Theo.
1: Well, it's funny you say that because a lot of people say, you know, God has a plan for you. God's trying to get your attention. I say, well, if God wants my attention, tell him to light a bush on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stop messing with your body. No, oh, hey, it worked for Moses, and then people quickly remind me that I'm not Moses, and <laughs> yeah. and that that's not how God or life or the universe or whatever you believe. We I, there is a reason. And what's interesting about that that car accident story is, um, is that I was given a choice whether to come back or not. Mm and I had a profound out of body experience and um I don't I don't necessarily believe that everybody's given a choice but I was given a very real choice and, and what's interesting about that experience is that when given the choice I felt like I had forever to decide but the moment I decided I was moved with velocity back into my body I mean it was I was snatched from the heavens literally felt you know wind in your face kind of experience and and just shot back into my body and I've often thought about that—that that once we uh, make a decision, things start to move in that direction with velocity
2: yep. to help
1: us to create and to manifest that. But that—but that car accident story, you know, that car accident was—you know—that event marked the end for me. At the time, I was, you know, wrestling in college, and I had aspirations of flying jets in the Navy, and I had this, this life plan that. That was derailed. I mean, it was all kind of taken away from me in that, in that event. And I was left depressed and despondent and unsure and searching for meaning. And so when I was back, so a decade later, I'm back in the hospital with this leg and I can't believe what has happened. And, um, you know, the six days I spent in the hospital, I mean, I, re- I remember them so vividly, the sleepless nights, the being in, I mean, I was in such unbelievable pain, but I had this relief in the form of a of, of, of a button. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but it's patient-administered morphine. <laughs> yes, I have seen that. It's, uh, what a country. I mean, you can press a button and whoosh, <laughs> yeah. get a great hit. But what was really scary for me is that as I laid there in my hospital bed late at night and, um, and I felt so terribly alone um, and afraid, I would hold that button and I'd begin to ask questions I'd, I'd never before asked. i began begin to just contemplate if I could press this button and just end everything.
2: Mm.
1: And what I realized was it wasn't my life that I wanted to end. It was my suffering. I just wanted the pain to go away. Mm. And I think what happens when you're going through a difficult circumstance or difficult challenge, it it, you become so focused in that moment that you can't see beyond but if we can just look beyond the moment of our pain or our struggle and know that this too will pass yep so they came and took me to physical therapy and i caught this was a really defining moment in the experience for me and i've and, and I referred to it as the gift of perspective that life just kind of snuck up on me and put in my lap what i needed at that time and they rolled me into physical therapy, and, and I'm in my wheelchair, and I'm feeling depressed and far, sorry for myself. And they parked me next to this old guy, and he's got to be in his 80s. And I look around the whole, the whole physical therapy room, and I was, they had, evidently the, the, where I was supposed to go, was uh, there wasn't room. So they'd taken me to a geriatric wing, and everyone there was in their 70s, 80s, 90s. Wow. And the guy next to me, um, I'm looking at his wheelchair, and I see his one foot but I can't find the other one. As my eyes kind of trace the way up the wheelchair, I see that in place of his leg is this bandage nub that this poor old guy had just had his leg removed. Right. And as I looked around the room, I was in a room filled with people who, with recent amputations. Oh. And I felt like in an instant, life had given me this gift of perspective because I was suddenly surrounded by people who would probably trade places with me that is, as much as I hurt and as scared as I was and as much as I was suffering, here's a room full of people that would see my circumstances as improvement over their own. Mm-hmm. Great. Go back to my room and I start feeling sorry for myself again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so you did a bunch of physical therapy.
1: Yeah, you know, and I did, did the physical therapy.
0: Did they ever pronounce that you wouldn't walk or you should also be amputated or like, did they give you that kind of a sentence?
1: They, well, here's what they would say. They would come. The doctors would come in with, with, with regularity and they, you know, they'd look and they'd look at the, the, the wound and stuff. And the swelling was so great. My leg had actually burst open and they were very concerned about infection. And they did say to me, listen, if this thing gets infected, then we have to move quickly to, to just to remove it. So the infection doesn't spread. Yeah, And that, um, I was terrified. I mean, I couldn't even imagine that, that uh, you know, something as seemingly benign as soccer could result in the possible loss of my leg. And um, so I definitely had that, that fear. And then they also talked about, you know, the prognosis for my recovery being pretty bleak. But I, I was fortunate in that um, you, you and I talked earlier about asking for help. You know, I was laying, I would lay in my, my, my hospital bed, and people would walk by, and they were um, – church volunteers from every every denomination imaginable. And they'd peek their head and they'd say, Baptist, and I'd say, uh, sure, come on in. And I'd get them to pray with me. The The Buddhists, the Jews, the Catholics, the Greeks, I mean, who, it didn't matter the denomination. And it was so, you know, they would come in, I'd say, well, actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not Jewish, but I would love it if you would pray with me. And there was real comfort in having someone there um, Present, in a you know, trying to, you know, I, I don't know how to describe it, but I really, I prayed with all of them. Yeah. And then I started getting phone calls from friends. And a buddy of mine asked me, you know, gave a great call. He said, you know, all right, so what's happened happened. But the question I got to ask you is, what are you going to do about it? Like, what do you want to be able to say a year from now? And I was in no mood for a pep talk. I was like, yeah, just save that for somebody else. Mm-hmm. But then it got me thinking. It's like, okay, I can't change what's happened. But I have a choice now. And people started sending me books. And I read a book by Viktor Frankl called yep. Man's Search for Meaning. Yep. And I'd read it before and i read it again. And it was just such a great reminder of that of the, the last of the human freedoms is our freedom to choose how we respond to circumstance. And sitting in that hospital bed... Um, and re- reading that book again, he talked about the one thing that separated the people from who survive versus those who perish is that they have a compelling reason. And I just needed a reason to recover. And I wrote down a goal. I needed a, I needed a goal. And I wrote down a goal. I mean, I couldn't – at this point, I wasn't even – I couldn't – I mean, obviously I couldn't walk. I was – in bed. I wrote down a goal of running a marathon, which I would never done before. But I thought, how can I look back on – what do I have to be able to do a year from now to look back on this and feel like I was – I had – this was a great, you know, I'd been victorious. And for me, having this goal of running a marathon, I felt like that would be the ultimate measure of, of, of my success or my comeback. And um, something amazing happened. When I put pen to paper, just a simple act of writing down run marathon, it began the healing process.
2: Mm.
1: And I ordered a $1,000 worth of books on tapes and the healing power of the mind. I spent the next 30 days in bed becoming a serious student about how the body heals, how the mind works, and even though I was in a lot of pain, this is what I learned that that um pain without promise is insanity. I mean if you if you can't if your if your pain has no meaning it's very difficult, but pain with promise or pain with meaning has promise. Yep. And I just started redefining what these uh, I read a book called Pain, the Gift Nobody Wants and that pain is just a communication it's just it's just feedback and you have to understand what the pain what, what your body's telling you when you're hurting mm-hmm. and uh, it just, I mean I really it, just, it, tra- it changed everything for me mm-hmm. Did you get
0: a sense that I don't know where, where your sort of spiritual beliefs are do you get sort of mad at God? Did you blame? Were you angry? Were you annoyed? Or did you quickly sort of transition more into the essence of what this meant, how you could use it, how this could be a
1: gift? No, you know, I, I don't know what box to put my faith in. Um, <laughs> but I you know I do have faith. And I've never thought that God or life or the universe was ever trying to hurt me or punish me. I've always felt that it was a test or that there was a lesson here, and that my responsibility my part in this equation was to figure out what all this meant, and what was I supposed to get out of it? What am I supposed to learn from this um, I didn't like it, but I felt that somewhere in here there was there was something of value for me, and that it was my you know it was up to me to find it
0: did you accept it did you was there a point where you just sort of said okay this has happened i'm not going to resist it was there a turning point when that happened
1: yeah you know, as you're saying that i'm thinking boy that would have been great <laughs> <laughs>
2: but,
1: um you know i don't know i don't know i mean was there a point that i accepted it you No, know, i think i was so i i think once i had had made a decision of what I wanted to, it's interesting, during the course of my recovery, I I had a team of attorneys, great lawyers, great guys, who were pursuing litigation against the city, against the guy that hit me, and, you know, a slam dunk case, and we'll settle out of court, and all this, you know, big, talking big, big numbers, and what I found was I wasn't getting better, that my folk, you know, every time we'd have a, a meeting, they would talk about, okay, so tell us how you've been hurt, tell us what you've lost, tell us what you can't do. And I, as I would live in that world, I would, as a, when I lived as a victim, I just wasn't healing. And I made a decision, um, and I'm not saying that this is for everybody, but I just decided that it, I, you know, I was young enough and that more than any money that I would ever have gotten, what I really wanted back was my life. And I just made a choice not to pursue any litigation, and, it, and, I, remember, and I do remember that day vividly, that once I decided not to do that, um, my, my recovery just accelerated yeah. And all my intention, all my focus, all my energy, was really geared towards running this marathon. And so, um, you know, I'm not a guy. I don't like working out necessarily. I mean, I really don't. <laughs> I can't stand it, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> and but if you but if you give if you, if I'm working towards something, I'll do any you know if if it's something that matters to me, then I'll do any then I'll do whatever it takes.
2: Yeah.
1: And so, by having this, you know really interesting because since my injury now, I've had an opportunity just to, uh, I spoke at a medical conference, I spoke at the you know, company that manufactured the rod in my leg, I've met with doctors, and, I mean, and no one's ever heard of a recovery, of, of someone with an injury such as mine coming back and doing the, doing what I've done.
2: Yeah. And
1: it's not, that I'm any, it's, it's not that I'm anything special, it's just it never occurred to anybody that it was possible. And I think that is where the big difference in my recovery was, is that I set this really lofty expectation of what I wanted to achieve, and it drove, it drove my recovery. It was I don't know if that makes any sense or not. It does.
0: Do you, I mean, did you, you set the goal to run the marathon? Did every pore of your body, cells, brain, ego kind of make you doubt, set you up to fail? Did you... Kind of go. That's absolutely crazy. I'll never get that done. Or did somehow those voices kind of gently
1: disappear? And- no, those voices were there. I mean, those, what's interesting is those. Well, not only were those voices there. I mean, my, I went. I was kicking and screaming the whole way. I mean, it, you, I think you have. I mean, I have multiple voices in my head. Yeah. Um, you know, you have the voice of encouragement. You have the voice of doubt. And 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 it seems like for so much of my life, the voice of doubt was the the louder voice the voice that definitely took um had more audience and and more credibility it seemed. And I was not only was it it wasn't just doubt, it was fear. I mean I was terrified of the marathon. And I made it to be in my mind have you ever run a marathon? you've run a marathon?
0: I have, yes.
1: You've I run several, New York
0: yep. You
1: ran New York? Oh what a great race. I'd like to do New York.
0: I ran well, New York and then I typically if I'm in New York I help um a disabled runner. I've done four where I've just been a runner's guide with some, either a blind person or someone in a wheelchair or Oh my gosh,
1: wow, okay, cool very cool, well you, I created the marathon in my mind to be this impossible task and I was so afraid of it and I placed so much stuff around it that I had real anxiety about the race and um, and I, but I had told so many people in my recovery that I was going to do that that as the race approached I really had no way of backing out without just being totally put to shame and then five weeks before the marathon, I ran a tw- did a twenty mile run, which was the longest run of my recovery at that point. And
0: and this oh, is how long after the accident?
1: This was the following year. Oh. But I was st- but uh, you know I was I was recovering physically, but I don't know that I was really healing mentally. I mean, I really I had very real post traumatic. I mean, I remember the point of impact of my injury vividly, and it was so grotesque and so terrifying. I just couldn't get that image out of my mind. And after I finished my 20 mile run, um, our we only had one child at that point. My daughter was in uh, somewhat of an, I guess, you know, newborn, six months old, somewhere in that time frame. And I ran to my parents' house. And when I got there, my wife and child were waiting for me. And I took my daughter in her car seat in to see my father. And I walked into a lead coffee table and tore the ACL in my other leg. Oh God. Which, as you can imagine, what I mean, how I was feeling after I did that. My first thought was, "Thank God, now I don't have to run that stupid marathon." (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. yeah. Which is so true. I mean, it's so what, it's so the way so many of us live our lives that we are looking for a way to get out. You know, it's and and I really, I mean, I thought after I tore my AC, I tore my AC. I mean, that's a career-ending injury for most professional athletes. And and. When I tore my ACL, I, I wasn't upset. I was relieved. I mean, I was so relieved that I would it like it let me off the hook, like now I don't have to run the marathon. But then I started thinking about how hard I'd worked, how far I'd come, and did I really want to give up? And turns out the ACL is a non-essential ligament. It provides lateral stability. If I could run in the straight line, I could still raise. <laughs> oh, Wow! And uh, I mean, and so it, there's. I think that that there are these reoccurring themes in my life. Uh, and in many of our lives, where the, you know, it's, I, it's not that I'm not afraid. I mean, I'm, I go through life terrified, but I've just learned some coping mechanisms and some coping strategies that I let my, you know, that I find a way to work through the fear or acknowledge it and, and, and you know, it's and certainly around enough. It's familiar. Um, and I ended up running, you know, I, I ran, I, I made a decision basically that I would redefine what victory would mean. I mean, I, I said, okay. It's it's fair enough now to say that with a torn ACL, it's okay if you can't finish this race. And I think giving myself permission to not finish, to just that all I had to do was try. Like I said, you know what, Theo, all you got to do is just show up. Just find the courage to start. And whatever happens during the race happens. But at least you won't spend the rest of your life wondering, what if I just gutted it out and, and tried? Yep. And then uh, mile, I ran the Marine Corps Marathon. Mile three of the marathon, I'm feeling fantastic. I'm so exhilarated. It's like being, you know, in the Olympics. You know, with all the fans and the cheering and the music, and you're just on top of the world. And there's an adrenaline rush. And we turn, we run around the, you know, we're turning around the Pentagon. I step off the curb and twist my ankle. and I'm thinking, well, I mean, I'm re- now this time I'm pissed. I'm like, what the? I mean, I was like, what? And my ankle's swelling up in my in my I, mean, I can see it's swelling and I'm kind of I'm kind of hopping on one foot, and then just out of nowhere this voice just came in my head that just said you know what just don't quit. It was I mean I don't know where it came from I never talked like that before, but like all of a sudden this inside of me just got angry, and just got really resolute and said you know what just don't quit. Just go a little bit further. Just try a little bit harder. Just last it a little longer. And, and really the objective then became, you know what, I just got to make it one more mile. By mile 10, my toes are bleeding through my shoes. Mile 12, my fibula is still broken. You can feel the ends of it rubbing together. I'm in excruciating pain, but I can handle it in the moment. You know, the idea of running the whole race seemed—I just seemed so far beyond comprehension. But I didn't have to run the whole race. In that moment, all I had to do was put one foot in front of the other and just take another step, make it another ten feet, make it another mile, and little bit by little bit, um, you finished the race. I finished the race, and here's what's interesting: you having done marathons, you know it isn't that hard to do.
2: Yeah,
1: it really is. And I stepped across the finish line, and my my reaction was, "That's it!" Like that's all? I mean, because in my mind, I'd made it out to be this impossible endeavor. And when I crossed the finish line, it was such a metaphor for life. It was such a breakthrough. I started thinking about all the other areas of my life that I'd held back because I was afraid or I, you know, whatever. And the, and the big thing for me that I'd never spoken out loud was that I wanted to do the Ironman. I mean, I just thought it'd be so cool and so amazing to do an Ironman. But, you know, I failed my swim test as a kid. I mean, I, I wasn't much of a swimmer. I didn't own a bike. I mean, how would I ever do that? But crossing the marathon I made that that's I made the decision in that moment that I would do the Ironman and the next year I did.
0: Mm. Unbelievable. That's one that I felt um a little bit afraid about, but I think I have an
1: Ironman in me. I bet you do and I would lo- I would love to talk to you about that. And I think I do. I just did the I just did the Ironman in uh in June. Mm. End of June this year in Idaho. The night before the two nights before the race, we land in Idaho and I get deathly ill. I mean, I'm Coming out of both ends, I'm puking my guts out. I've got fever, the chills. I'm curled up. I can't. I mean, I I can't get from bed to bathroom unassisted. I mean, I am a complete. um I get to the hospital, they put me in an IV. I'm I'm literally in the waiting room or the emergency in the emergency room, curled up on the floor in a ball, just shivering. Mm-hmm. They get me in the back, they put me in an IV, and everybody in my life is telling me, you know what? Just go home. You've done an Ironman before. You've got nothing to prove. But there was never a moment in that experience that I didn't believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that I would race the next day. And that, and I knew it would suck, and I knew it would be hard, but I knew that I would do it. And I knew that the only way that I wouldn't finish is if they you – because know, you have 17 hours to finish, that they would have to come and get me and take me out. I mean someone would have to physically – I would crawl until someone stopped me. Um, and it took me two and a half hours Longer to do that race than, than it ever took you know than it took me to do the other one, yep. but in many ways, it was my favorite race of all time.
2: Because
1: mm. when else do I mean how often do any of us have an opportunity to really push ourselves and 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 um, one of my favorite quotes that came out of all this experience is that adversity doesn't make the person; it just reveals who it just reveals who you already are. Yep. And in the beginning, I didn't like what it was revealing. And so I went about changing it. You know, I wanted to become someone who didn't let fear stand in the way of doing what was important.
0: I'm curious, did you find it in your heart and soul to forgive the person that did this first uh, run-in with you and your leg?
1: Forgive him? I want to hug him and thank him. It was the most amazing gift anyone could have given me. What's interesting is that when it happened – he ran off the field, and all of his teammates and my teammates gathered around me, were waiting for the ambulance that incidentally went to the wrong field. We were there about 45 minutes, and his teammates said, you know, we've been telling that guy he's going to hurt somebody, that he's been playing cheap for years. And, and that guy never came over to me, never apologized. He sat in the bleachers by himself, and then he left, and I never heard from him ever again. Still to and, this day. To this day, Never. But I really not only forgive him. My gosh, I thank him. I mean, I think I think about what my life would have been like if this had never have happened to me, and that's why you know I, I asked in the beginning. You know, this may sound like a tragedy, but good heavens, this is the greatest. This has been a great blessing because from this um, from this event, this whole new life has been given to me.
0: Have you ever wanted to track him down and let? Probably relieve him from a lot of guilt, a lot of pain that he's been carrying for a while.
1: Um, you know, it's interesting. Until you said that, I never really thought about it. Simply because he's he's just such not a part of my life or my focus. Or I mean, I don't put any energy around yep. that guy um, or what happened. My car accident was a pretty you know pretty profound event in my life. And several years later, I was given a a, a talk and. A woman came to me afterwards and was asking me some questions. And I said, "Well, what do you do for a living?" She said, "I'm a shock and trauma nurse." I said, "Wow, really? Um, that's so cool. I, 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 it's because of someone just like you that I'm even alive today." And, I, and and I said, "Well, where do you where do you work?" And she said, "Fairfax Hospital." I said, "No kidding." And I said, "Well, that's where they took me." Well, it turns out, I said, "I know. I mean, you probably see you know lots of trauma cases, and you probably have no, you probably would never, even if you were there." And she goes, "Oh no, I remember you." It was my first day on the job,
2: wow.
1: and uh, she goes, you, you don't know how lucky. You were not supposed to make it, and I've, most people in your circumstances don't. And I kind of felt like I was really – at that point in my career, I was really questioning what I was doing and you know, going through what we all go through, and um, it was almost as though life just sent this nurse – Back onto my path to kind of check in and just tell me, you know what, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Hmm. Um, I have wanted to track down. I mean, I have this this. Uh, I say it's a fantasy. I mean, I, I have this this vision of one day. Um, I want to find the the firefighters who saved my you know, who who were there, the first responders. I want to acknowledge them. Yep. You know, when when uh, the, the police officer called my father a week after my accident, and my father said, you know, my, I don't know if it was a week, maybe a few days. He said, man, eh, it had to have been a week. My father said, you know, my son's really upset that uh, the people who towed his car away stole his stereo. You know, I was 19. I had <laughs> a sports car with an Alpine stereo. You may remember in the day Alpine was at high end. And I was more concerned about my stereo being stolen. And the, there's a long pause on the phone, and the officer said, upset, you mean your son's alive? Because he wasn't when he left here.
0: Well no. So, Theo, it sounds like um, there's a very definite reason why we need to have you around for
1: a long time on the planet. (laughs) Well, it's funny you say that because I'm really scared that God sent me back to do something and that if I do it, he'll come and get me. (laughs) So I've decided to do nothing with my life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Theo, and God bless. Thank you. Today I've been speaking with Theo, a marathon runner and Ironman athlete who's faced numerous physical challenges to get to where he is today. I'm Ariane. Thanks for listening. And for more inspirational interviews and advice, please visit us on the web at first30days.com.